as soon as he walked in the door that night. He was very drunk, and when he came in, we had always been told that we had to have dinner on the table prior to my dad walking in that door. So as it was, we had dinner on the table. However, when he walked in, he took the tablecloth and jerked it all into the floor. At that time, he said, he stated, you aren't going anywhere until you get this mess cleaned up. Well, we only had just a short time to get dressed and get ready to go. Well, we were already dressed, but get ready to go so that we could go to this Awana um, meeting that we were having. And it was an, it was an important meeting because there were going to be a lot of fun games and stuff that night. So we all, he told us to clean it up and now go to your rooms. We couldn't clean it up before we went to our rooms even. I went to the room, which was located on the second floor, my bedroom. My father had always taught us kids how to get out of the second floor, just in case we had a fire. So I used the teachings, and I tied the sheets together and climbed out the window. That day I ran away. So I ran away that night for the next three months. I never went home for three months. I ran, ran, and ran. During that time, God was in my heart, but needless to say, I was not acting as a Christian. I began to get in a lot of trouble. I was smoking, drinking, um, staying out on the streets with a friend of mine all night long. We hitchhiked to Florida and back more than once. I wasn't proud of my behavior, so I contacted my mom and I asked if I could come home. Of course, she said yes. Mom was very happy to have me back. Dad, on the other hand, was very disappointed in my um, behavior and not so happy and not so forgiving. I continued to run down the wrong path for the next two years in my life. At this time, I was about 18, pregnant, and had out, uh, a child out of wedlock. Um, in 1980, I married Nick, who was my first husband, um, the love of my life, and he adopted my son, Jimmy, who I had out of wedlock. I started going back to church and trying to raise my son in a way I felt would be best. Even though I was going to church like my dad growing up, my husband didn't go. Unfortunately, that kept me from going every week as well. In 1991, Nick and I moved to Wyoming where he wanted to retire. After our move, Nick made sure dinner was on the table and I, when I arrived at home for work every single day, he was an awesome cook, let me tell you. Uh, Nick knew more people before we moved to Wyoming because of the many years he had hunted there. He was very personal and easy to get along with. However, most everyone we knew in Wyoming were retired, worked in a bar, or stayed drunk all day, which now included my husband. In 1992, I asked Nick for a divorce for I couldn't handle the bar scene, I couldn't handle the abuse of my son anymore. He promised he would quit drinking and he would, um, and he, and he would be willing to move to Nevada uh, with me to get away from all the drunks. So another, st another uh, chapter in our lives, we did move to Nevada. Um, we started another journey again and worked in reconciling our marriage. It wasn't long after we moved to Nevada that he started drinking again. Me being home, or him being home and me at work, he had a lot of hours that were alone. My son was in school. 
So being alone all day I, and I worked left him doing nothing, and it only reminded me of my father's days. I despised him so much when he drank. I only rem- it only reminded me of the horrible times I had with my dad and his drinking problems. I continued to live with it for a few more years until one day when I came home from work, my husband was drunk, and he was fist-fighting my son in the driveway. This did it. I couldn't handle this anymore, and Nick and I got divorced in 1996. I couldn't handle this. um, Oh, I'm sorry. As I look back on these 16 years of marriage, before the drinking, we did many wonderful things together. We would go fishing, hunting, traveling around the world. We went on uh, Caribbean cruises, but my connection to God had continuously got more distance. Sadly enough, to the point where God wasn't even existent in my life. The next chapter in my life isn't much prettier, when it came to God especially. I had lived in Nevada for four years. I had got a great job. My son was uh, grown and had moved out of his own, on his own, and I am free now. So what did I do? I started running around doing what I needed to do. How wonderful I thought that was going to be, and not, it wasn't. Not so wonderful. The days got very lonely, and the nights were even worse. My job was all I had. I had worked um, long hours, 3 p.m. to 3 a.m. I would then come home um, and pull weeds in my front yard, for it was much cooler in the morning in Las Vegas at 3 a.m. to pull weeds. Um, It was so lonely. I just wanted someone to talk to. Most people I knew worked the day shift. Couldn't call my mom, for she would be sleeping at that time. I would sit and cry for hours. Then one day in 1997, I met a gentleman at work that had just moved to Vegas. He was very depressed, for he had just gone through a divorce and was really missing his kids. I felt very sorry for him, and I told him if he needed someone to talk to, just call me. I would be there for him, since I was in the same predicament at this time. We began to talk for long hours on the phone every night. It was very nice that I had uh, someone to communicate with. Those conversations led to many dates and then marriage in 1998. In February of 1999, I had another son, and we named him Joseph. What a beautiful baby. It was the happiest day of my life. I really had not been too close to God over the past decade or so, but felt I should get my son in the church to be raised with Jesus in his heart. Even though I believed this, I never did it. You see, I had never spoke with my husband prior to our marriage about God. And when I talked about God, I found out he believed there was no God. He had been through so much trauma in his life, he couldn't believe that there could be a God because he was molested, he was, you know, many different things. But he said, there is no God, and he would not go to church with me. God... Um, he stated that, you know, if God would be, uh, if, I'm sorry, if he stated that there were, if there were a God, he would not have done to endure many of the things he had gone through in his life. I began to try to change his attitude with no avail. It was now the winter of, of 2005. Uh, we had just returned home from visiting my mom and dad in Michigan for Christmas holidays. My dad had cancer. And I knew there wasn't much time left for him. And I said my goodbyes in hopes that I would see him again before he died. 
It was the 9th of January, and my mom called stating that I should come back, that my dad was not going to make it much longer. I left my husband and my son in Arizona, where we were living at the time. I immediately got on a plane and flew to Michigan to be with by my dad's side. The pastor from my mom's church had come to the house uh, to be with my dad, mom and all of us siblings um, when my dad passed, all of us, yes. The pastor came to be with all of us, my dad and my siblings when, when my dad passed. I, as I'm one of five girls and I also had one brother, so we had six children in our family. We were just waiting for him to, do, um, to die and be rid of his pain when the phone rang. My husband on the other end screaming, our baby is dying, our baby is dying. As he's crying, he began to tell me he doesn't know how it happened. He was in, the, um, in his room um, on his computer in, an, um, in the bedroom uh, when he heard a loud noise. He ran into the living room to find our little boy under the large screen TV, unconscious and bleeding from his ears. Screaming, he cries, screaming, he continues crying out, our baby is dying, our baby is dying. My husband said, I have been calling, I have been doing CPR for an hour and 911 still hasn't arrived. I immediately started blaming myself for leaving him there with his father. How could I be so stupid? I hated myself. All I could see was the little face crying to me, Mommy, Mommy, I want to go with you. I want to go with you. I reassured him I would send him for him as soon as I could. I immediately ran to my father's side, asked him to be my angel. Please, Dad, when you get to heaven, ask God to fix my baby. Dad was very weak, but with a tear running down his face, he nodded at me. I kissed him, said, excuse me, said, I love you. And I do this every time I try to read this. I can't stop from crying. I've got to get my composure back together here. Dad was very ill, but with a tear in his, in his eye, I already did that. I'm not going to do it again. It's just going to make me cry again. Um, I kissed him and said I love him, and I and late, left late at night to go on the plane. So basically, I want to stop for a second there and read a verse in the Bible that I believe has a lot to do with my testimony. And the verse, where did it go? Where's my Bible here? It's James number three, um, I mean James one, five and six. Oh. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you as asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. So basically, believe that he's going to do it. You know, it is going to be done, and, and he will do that. So um, I've always believed in the Lord, and I've, I'm, I've been with the Lord for many years of my life. Not that I followed him throughout the, all of them, 
but I've always believed that if I was in trouble, he would help me, and he did. In more than one occasion, he has helped me a long ways. So for the next month, I continued, continuously had music, ABCs, 123s, um, playing in Joey's ears on videos and CDs. I would be working on um, keeping his fingers, his arms, and his toes from starting to lose their tone uh, to make sure that he was going to be able to walk again, maybe talk again, and so on and so forth. Um, moving them in all directions to be sure that they didn't get stiff. I was always told in my earlier years that the power of prayer was better than any surgeon's work, and I agree with that 100%. So that is where we began. We spent many hours uh, to get the word out of my son. Joey's brother Danny had made a website um, that spread across the Internet into five different countries. We had five countries praying for this child. How could God let let all these Christians down by not helping Joey? I just knew Joey would be fine. I had not um, been close to God through the last 20 years of my life, only going to church approximately three to five times a year when I'd visit my mom and dad. If I had ever needed God now was the time. I could only pray that he would accept me back in his arms and again, for I needed him, and he was the great physician. When I had arrived at the Las Vegas Trauma Center, I didn't even recognize Joey. The nurse took me to a room where the child looked like he was in an oriental descent. I told the nurse he wasn't my child, just as my husband walked in the room and said, Yes, he is, honey. That is Joey. As I sat there, I remembered a woman I worked with at the uh, real estate office who went to the church on a regular basis. I didn't know her very well, but had a card in my purse. I called her and left the um, the doctor left as I I called and after the doctor left as and asked if she could um, have her pastor stop by to say a prayer for Joey. She said she would call him and continue to pray for Joey herself. I thanked her and prayed um, the pastor would be there quickly. The youth pastor was there the next day. He graciously sat and prayed for uh, quiet quite some time over Joey. We thanked him uh, for coming so quickly and talked about Jesus and God with him while he was there. If it was God's will, Joey would be fine. He, he put Joey on his list at church and um, others in our community. For weeks, I sat to the monitors beeping and watching the numbers continuously changing. If you've ever been in a hospital room, you know exactly what I mean, the beeping. The, it just, it's all you hear. It's, you're waiting for your child to wake up, and that's all you hear. The numbers were not clear to me what they meant, and when every change, up or down, that worried me drastically. Joey had died four times in the aircraft on his way to the hospital and had to be rescued. We lived in Arizona up on a mountain where there was not even a place for the um, helicopter to land so they could pick him up. So they wound up stopping the traffic on I-95, an expressway out there, and the ambulance brought him to the, to the expressway. And then he got in the plane and went to Nevada from, Alabama, uh, from Arizona where we lived. He had been in a coma since the impact of the TV, and the doctors felt he should remain there until the swelling had subsided in his brain. 
So at this time, we did not know whether he would ever wake up or when the doctors tried to remove him from the induced coma. Over the last 32 days, I had been repeatedly told that Joey, if he ever woke up, would be a vegetable. But I knew differently as I had the greatest surgeon in the universe performing a miracle for me. Joey, when he got diagnosed with his um, injury, he had lost 70% of the right frontal lobe, 20% of the left frontal lobe. God was the only thing that could fix him and allow him to walk again, talk again, and be able to function as a human being. That's all it was. It was Valentine's Day, and Joey knew he was loved by all the visitors that came and left gifts that day, saying, we love you and God bless. I thought how they would be brightened, that I thought how they would brighten Joey's face if he um, would just come out of the coma and open his eyes. So before we left for dinner, I placed all the gifts on an unreachable shelf around the room on Joey's, in, in Joey's um, room from his bed so that if he woke up, he wouldn't have a problem with his skull. He had no skull at that time. His skull had been taken out so that they could actually um, do the surgery they needed to do, and they placed it in a bank in California. When they got that skull back, they placed it in Joey's head. Unfortunately, the skull was never prepared properly in the um, place where it was sent, and he wound up getting an infection so bad they had to take it out, and he had to go back in and have a skull replaced with cement. So, um, let's see. So I placed the gifts so that they wouldn't be uh, able, he wouldn't be able to actually reach them um, from his bed. So his skull and, and nothing would be hurt um, by anything if he should wake up while we were gone. We left at 6 p.m., and they locked the door um, of the ward. Always, when we left, we lo they locked the door. 6 o'clock, you had to leave if you were going to go for dinner. And 8 o'clock, they reopened the doors every single night. So from 6 to 8, there were no visitors. You could not go and see your child at that time, no matter what happened to him. And at 8 o'clock, we all came back to the room. <coughs> no one in or no one out during this time. We arrived back at the hospital at our usual 7.55 and rang the bell to let them know we had returned. The door was unlocked for us at exactly 8 o'clock. As I entered the room, I noticed a new stuffed animal on Joey's bed I hadn't seen before. And I stood there staring at it. Now, this is the stuffed animal that was on the bed, okay? And the ladies already know this because I did a part of my um, testimony in our, in our room, but I didn't go into depth because I knew one day I wanted to do that. So this is the little animal that was on the bed when I came in the room. Um, I stood there staring at the animal, wondering who had brought it. I had a feeling in my heart. I don't know why I got this feeling, but I can only say that I believe it was Jesus Christ that told me to pick this little animal up. So I picked it up, and I used it as a speaking tool. So I did just that. I did this. As I picked it up, I put it in front of Joey's face, and I said, Hi, my name's Scruffy. What's yours? He opened his eyes, and he said, Doe-wee! 
oh my god, tears came to my eyes. And I'm going to lose my sight if I don't look at this because I'm trying so much in my head. But anyway, I started screaming, wondering, who brought this animal? I ran to the nurse's station asking, who was in Joey's room while I was gone? And the nurse replied, no one. You were the first one we let back in the door. How could anybody have possibly been in that room? I stated, I cleared off Joey's bed before I left, just in case he awoke. He was not injured by anything that was brought to him that day, being Valentine's Day. He had many gifts. The room was nowhere near as big as this, but you know how big a, a hospital room is. The shelf went all the way across the top of the room, and the shelf was full of toys. There was nothing left on his bed when I left. So I stated, I clearly uh, cleaned off Joey's bed um, of all the gifts brought to him today. Someone was in there and left this dog on his bed. It made Joey speak. The nurse said, Sharon, he didn't speak. You just want it so bad you think you heard it. Ooh, by this time I was, I was angry. I was real angry. I... Okay, with, with telling me that, uh, I just wanted to kill that woman. So getting angry with everyone telling me um, that he would be a vegetable, never talk again, never walk again, and she's not going to sit there and tell me that I didn't hear him speak. So basically, I was stern with her, and I told her. I said, I know what I heard. She stated, I can't document anything unless I hear it myself. So I looked at this woman and I said, okay, let's go. Let's go to the room. He spoke and I know he spoke. As we entered the room, the nurse began in a loud voice, Joey, I understand you're talking. Joey, can you tell me your name? And of course, nothing. He said absolutely nothing. So Joey laid there with his eyes closed as if he were still in the coma. I was still holding the animal close to my chest, so I put it in his face again. And I said, hi, my name's Scruffy. What's yours? He opened his eyes, and he said, my name is Dowie. I just cried of joy. He not only said his name, he said a whole sentence at that time, a whole sentence. They said he'd never talk again, he'd never walk again, he'd never be anything for me to get a, vet, uh, a nursing home ready for him when he came out of the hospital. I wasn't going to have that. I knew my God was a bigger God than that. There was no way God was going to allow him to be this way. So I just said, praise the Lord, he spoke a sentence. The next day as Joey was sitting in my lap, I asked him, Joey, do you know who brought you that doggy? And you'll never believe what he said. He looked me right in the face and he says, yes, your majesty brought him. I just cried, literally cried. I could not believe that came out of his mouth. I knew our Lord was big enough to fix him. And I had the belief that it was going to happen. And he did it for me. He really did it for me. So he's, I, I could only hug him and say, thank you, Jesus as I knew Jesus had come to Joey. The doctors began to come in flocks to see this miracle child. They made him a helmet so he could get out of bed and begin his physical therapy. His skull would not be replaced for another year and a half, which we did get that. I will never forget the prayers 
that God so graciously answered, even though I had not been there for God for many, many years. I realized I had made many mistakes by leaving God's side, but from here on, I will follow Jesus forever. Our Father has brought me so far, so much joy by giving me my son back. I can truly say I know how Mother Mary felt when she lost Jesus and when he arose the next in the three days. Over the last ten years, I have become closer to our Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I pray that I can faithfully serve God for the rest of my days. For now, this is my testimony, but it isn't finished, for my God is an awesome God, and I can thank him in every day for this wonderful miracle he has given me. Julie, come here. So this is my son, Joey, and as you guys all know, he sings in the choir. He bowls. He graduated from high school. He's gone to college. He's done many things in his life. So if you ever doubt, get rid of your doubt. God can do anything you ask him to do as long as you believe. Believe in the Lord and you'll have whatever you possibly could imagine. Here, I'll give you that. <laughs> Great job. Wonderful. Wonderful. Amazing. Here, here's your cup. You might want it a little later. I don't want to drink out of it. I've done that before. Not out of her cup, but somebody else's bottle. Amen. It, it, God's just amazing. He's wonderful, awesome. We cannot fathom the stuff that He does for us. Amen. So thank you again, Sharon. Appreciate that. Amen. Amen. Well, children can go to children's church right now. I know they're all just like, what do they do? And we're not going to have children's church. Amen. The rest of you turn to First John chapter 5. First John chapter 5. I do also want to uh, recognize that, um, well, he's talking right now. I'll tell him in a minute. But this on, was it the last night was your anniversary of uh, your first time you ever preached? It was. How many, 53 or 54? 53 years ago. So Daddy preached his first sermon 53 years ago last night. He, he was, let's see if I can get this right. See if I can get it, because I've heard it for 43 years now. He was up there for five minutes and cried three of them. Okay, there we go. <laughs> I've heard that one just a few times, but it's good. It's <laughs> but, amen. So, you know, as we've been talking, and this is our 11th time we're talking through the book of First John, and chapter 5, just reading this, it's like John just keeps going over and over and over of how we need to be, how that God is light and Him no darkness at all, how that you know we need to uh, love others as Jesus loves us. If we say we have God in us and hate our brother, then we're what? We're a liar. We've read that. Um, so he just points it out plainly. But through all these chapters, it's the same stuff over and over. 
And like I said before, when I'm, you know, preparing each week, I feel like I'm saying some of the stuff over and over. And I am. But John was doing the same thing throughout his letters that he that he written here. And and it's to reiterate to us, this is the same as what he was doing back then, that we don't have to live and deal with these problems each day as we do and let them consume our life. Let them consume our thoughts. Let them consume every activity or action that we have throughout this life. We don't have to do that, but we choose to a lot of times because it's easier. It's easier, like we said before, not to deal with things. And so, you know, we're, I'm going to do what it was doing here, and we're just going to keep talking about it. Why? Because they had problems back then, and we all, we all know we still have problems today. Jesus hadn't come back. Satan's still ruler of this world. We still have problems in our life, and our family, and our thoughts. Everything around us seems to have problems and with struggles and trials, and we don't know how to deal with them because we don't turn to the Word of God as we need to. You know, so just as this is not the end of the story in First John, it's not the end of the story in our life, like Sharon was talking about, God's still working, God's still moving. Miracles happen each and every day. And, and they didn't stop when, when the last book of the Bible was written or when Jesus went back or anything. Jesus still works and moves in people's hearts and lives. And we see that each and every day. But, you know, just as in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, I said go to First John, but we'll go to Hebrews real quick. And then I'll read the text. Because this was just impressing on me this week as I was reading this and talking about how that we do the same things over and over. We have something different than the world's got. We have Jesus, right? We have the author and the finisher of our faith, the Alpha and Omega. He was there when the world began. He'll be there when the world ends. This is only a temporary time that we're going to be here. We always have to remember, this is the shortest time we'll spend anywhere. So you're either going to spend eternity in heaven, or if you're not saved, you're going to spend eternity in hell. So this time we have on this earth, whether it's five years or 105 years, it's still a short time of what we're going to get to experience, especially when Jesus is Lord of our life and we go to heaven to be with Him. So um, the writer of Hebrews, and we all know, we all think that, it's, that it was Paul, he said, Therefore we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so great a cloud of witnesses, everybody we read about in the Word of God is our witness to what Jesus can do. Everybody around us that we see God work in their life is still a cloud of witness that we can see and know that God's still moving and God's still working. Just like in Sharon and Joe's life, we know that God's still working and moving in people's lives. There's still that cloud of witness that we can look back on and say, God did it for them, He'll do it for me. And, and so he said, let us lay aside every weight, every sin which so easily snares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What is this? I love this next one. This is where I was talking about a while ago. Looking unto who? Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. What does our problems and trials do each day in our life? They get our focus off Jesus and onto whatever else is going on. And then we don't seem to look back up and focus our mind and our hearts and our lives and our eyes on Jesus because of what's in front of us here. Because we look at stuff in our natural eye and it's easy to do and that's what we look at every day. We wake up and look at our natural eye. But we know that's not the end of it when Jesus is Lord of our life. We can look through the eyes of faith, look through the eyes of love, and know that Jesus is working in our life because He's there with us, because He's Lord of our life. 
And he says, he said, For the joy that was set before him who endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set at the right hand of the throne of God. So all these that have done all these amazing things in God's work through their life are a cloud of witness. And, and they've done it because of what Jesus done for them. We're so, we're so wrapped up in our own lives and own things that are going on and, and get so comfortable in the fact that we live in America. You know, I was, reading, I was listening to something the other day. There's still, and I can't remember, 30-something countries, I think. I think that's what they said, that does not have the Bible. We have it and had it for generations among generations. And it just lays here a lot of times, doesn't it? It just lays there. Because we, we get comfortable with the fact and take it for granted of what we have in our life and do not go back and, and realize the joy that was set before Jesus should be joy in our life set before us. Because if we read the joy that was set before Him, it was not a robe paved with gold, was it? The joy set before Him was suffering and shame and, and, and hurt and pain and, and death. That was the joy that was set before Him. But His joy went beyond His suffering, went beyond His pain, went beyond what He could see in His everyday life because He saw us. That was His, that was his true joy in His life because He knew He was doing what God had called Him to do and, and was doing it and, and was not going to stop. So... We're going to deal with things every day. And we're going to keep reading the Word of God every week. Every Sunday when you come here, we're going to preach out of this Word of God. And we're going to preach more out of the Word of God. And you may hear me say things over and over and over again, but it's like I've said before, there's no new stuff being written in the Bible, is there? It's all been handed down to us. And it's all inspired by God and what He wants for us. But He never promised that we wouldn't have suffering and problem and trials and tribulations in our life. But He promised that He'd be there for us, didn't He? So we need to, just as you're studying for a test, what do you do? You study. You read over it, right? You try to memorize those things. Everybody remembers when they was in school and the ones that still are. You read over it again and you study for it and you read over it again. That way when that time of that test comes, you can say, I know that answer. It's no different in our own life. If we don't know what test is coming next, what trial is coming next, what things are coming next in our life, but if we haven't studied the Word of God, how are we going to know where our answer lies at? Because we're going to look at that problem and look at that test. I'm like, I don't know that answer. I don't know what to do. I'm just going to guess. I'm going to mark C. Because that just seems to be the, the right answer, right? All the time C. But that we, that we don't work in real life and we know that. But we have a choice in every situation. We can either trust God fully or we can rely on our own strength and own self and we know that where it's going to lead us. It's going to every time lead us in a direction away from where God wants us to be. So, so we've got to trust in Jesus. We've got to have victory. Jesus gave us victory over Satan and over all this stuff because Jesus Himself defeated Satan and everything about it. So... We're going to keep saying these things, and we're going to keep doing them, and we're going to keep trusting God. Why? Because that's what God's called us to do. We believed in God to save us from our, our sins, but believing God now, years later sometimes, over other problems in our life, we, we lose heart, right? And we lose sight of that because, because it's difficult. But if He's going to save us, He said He's going to be there with us. So 
Back over to 1 John chapter 5. And verse 13. Y'all here this morning? I've heard a couple amen. I just want to make sure everybody's awake. You've already been blessed. You've been blessed in music, been blessed in, in time to where you get to praise God and give back to Him and bring that sacrifice of praise, bring something to God as we come in here and sing praises to Him, not praises to ourselves, but praises to Him. We've heard a great testimony this morning. I mean, there's no doubt about that. God still works and still moves. So, I said before, challenge you don't leave the same as you come in here today so let's read this in first john chapter 5 verse 13 these things i have written to you who believe in the name of the son of god that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the son of god now verse 14 now this is the confidence i like that part this is the confidence the confidence that we have why why do we have confidence in god because we know He'll never leave us. He said it. He'll never leave us or forsake us. We know we try to have confidence in man, and it seems to always at some point let us down. But we know the one sure thing we can have in our life is confidence in our Lord and Savior. Until we have trials and problems and circumstances, then we seem to lose that confidence in our life. Lose what, what we should know to look at, we do not look at. So this next one, that if... The confidence we have in Him, that if we ask anything, and we can stop there. I'm going to close the Bible if we ask anything. Because that's how we do a lot of times in our spoiled first world life. We just stop there. If we ask anything. God, I'm asking. I'm asking. So I'm asking, so I'm expecting to receive. Because I ask. Right? Does it end there? That's where we'd all love it to end. We'd all like for it to end there. I'm going to ask anything. Even Jesus, you know, in Matthew chapter 7, said, go there, Cole. Go to Matthew chapter 7. Should be the next slide. Do what? You don't have Matthew. I know I put it in there. Everybody should know it. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So like I said, bring your Bible. Don't always trust that up there. If you don't know what I'm reading, pull it up. <laughs> so, but in, in Matthew chapter 7, in verse 7, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you, right? Ask. So I should just be able to ask, and it should be given to me. Everything in my life, we want to be handed on a silver spoon. Because we were born in America, and most stuff in our life, and most of us have not lived in poverty, or lived in through the depression and all this other stuff that we didn't have and we've had pretty much everything we wanted. So we expect ourselves to be in God to say, just here, have it. It's good. I know you're a child of mine. Have. Have whatever you ask for. It. And preachers and evangelists have done it throughout the years, a name it, claim it game, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, they're still doing it, TV evangelist star, where you send in this money and I'll send you this vial of holy water and all this stuff. Cody asked me, Last week, I don't see the bottle up here, but there's a bottle of oil. And he said, let me ask you, what's, what's special about that oil? Is it like some holy oil that some priest done his thing over? I said, no, Cody. No, it's probably olive oil. And we use it as the Word of God tells us to use it. You just try to anoint them with oil, lay hands on the sick, 
And, 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 uh, and we're doing what the Word of God says. All that is, we're doing it out of faith. I said, ain't nobody, ain't no man, there it is, can, uh, can bless oil and it be something just like they can't bless a bottle of water because you sent them $100 and send it to you and you do whatever with it is going to make you just well. So anyway, but people still doing it. Why? Because ask. I should be able to get what I want. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be open. That's great. Preach a message on that. Everybody gets blessed. Everybody gets just, you know, hyped up, you know, just emotionally going and ready to head out the door. And then the world hits them in the face and they fall down. Why? I've asked. I should have it. Nothing should ever harm me again because I've asked for it. But we can't end there, can we? We'd love to. Love for it to end there. It'd be great. Our lives would be so much simpler if it would just end there. When I ask, I want to receive. I want it now. According to His will. That's where we don't want to get to. His will. I want my will. I want my will. My will is that my children, all of them, Love God and are in church and are living the way they're supposed to live. And that's God's will too. My will is that I, me and my wife would never have a problem again. And that's still God's will. Never have an argument. Never have anything wrong. My will is that I want a brand new Jeep truck. That's my will. My will is I want millions of dollars in my bank account. That's mine. God wants us to have good things. He wants that for us, but why do I want those things? How, am I going to glorify God by uh, driving around in my Jeep truck jacked up with some 35s on it or something and going mudding on the weekends? Is that glorifying God? I'll go out there and witness, and we'll have church out there. At the, at, you know, I'll go with J.J. Me and him will be out there having church, right? Stony lonesome. We'll just go out there. We want all these things because... What have we read in John? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. None of the three that keep us in sin, keep us in our flesh, are in the will of God. Sorry. That doesn't mean, and I'll say it again, God don't want us to live on an old dirt road, an old broke-down trailer, and he'll drive old broke-down vehicles. He wants us to fully believe in Him and trust in Him that His will be done in our life. His will. Scratch all of what we want in His will. What, and I'll say it, I've said this before. We get to this point, and it's God's will that people are healed. That people are saved, people are set free. You know, it's His will that everybody on this earth, the ones that have gone, it was His will then, the ones that are here now, and the ones that are going to be until Jesus comes. It's His will that they all accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It doesn't matter what country, region, province they're in, in this globe of this world that we live in. It's His will that every man receive Him and accept Him as their Lord and Savior of His life. That's His will. But we know that doesn't happen. Just as His will, and he, we've heard about it this morning, He did a miracle in Joey's life, so we know it's still His will to heal people. Well, why doesn't everybody get healed? We, we, we think of that and say, God, I ask. It should be your will for somebody who, whatever person you can think about in your life, for them to be healed. Why, is it, why did they not get healed? Well, I look at it 
as if that person was saved and knew they was on the way to heaven, they got their ultimate healing when they went to heaven, right? They did. So, but we wonder about it here on this earth. Because we don't, again, losing somebody on this earth that, that we love, parent, spouse, child, whatever it is, it brings hurt and pain to us, doesn't it? It brings, God, you're not doing what, what, what my will is. Is that really your will that I should have to go through this? When Jesus was in the garden before he got crucified, what did he ask you? What did he ask God? He said, He said, if there's any way, take this cup from me. Any way at all. Can we do something else? So Jesus, we just talked about it, knew the suffering, pain, agony, disgrace he was going to go through over the next few hours, the next several hours, days. And he knew all of that was going to happen. But, what did he say? Yet not my will, but thine be done. So if Jesus, our Lord and Savior, had to go through suffering to see God's will done throughout his life and throughout this world, then I'm not saying it's his will and way that he's going to just put this on you to show you his will. That he, I ain't saying he's making people I ain't saying he's giving people cancer. I ain't saying he's doing none of that. God is not taking people's lives from you so you so somebody will get saved. That happens because we live in a world that's ruled by Satan that Adam and Eve messed up when they sinned and we live in a fallen creation and bad things happen. But through those bad things happening, people do come to the knowledge of Christ in their life through those things. But it's his will that we look to him through the problems we have going on. Through the trials. Stop asking all these whys all the time, day in and day out. Why, God? Why? 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 And look through that and past that and find the will of God in our life and fully live that. If God, if this is what you dealt me, if this is what I have right now, then I'm going to trust you through it. Until I see a change in this situation or that, I'm still going to look to you and trust you and, and know that you're in control of, of whatever's going on. So, Jesus didn't have that. Nobody we read about in the Bible, they done the will of God and not their own. Did they live a stress-free, worry-free life as we would like to? God didn't feed them with a silver spoon like we want Him to feed us. He didn't do all this for them, but we want it for us. We shouldn't suffer as they suffered, but we're still serving the same God. God still loves us, even though we can't see, we don't want to see through it a lot of times and figure out why, how, how is this? Because we want to continue just to question everything instead of putting our trust in Him and know whatever His will is, I'm going to trust Him through it. And I'm going to trust Him during it and, and before and after and all this stuff. Because why? Because we have confidence. We have that confidence in Him knowing that He's going to take care of us no matter what. And He hears us. So, here's why that we don't get the things a lot of times that we ask of God. James talks about it. In James chapter 4, and in verse 2, he said, You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot attain. You fight and war. You do not have because you do not ask. So, hey, again, we should be able to ask and have it, right? 
We should be able to do those things. And, and that's true. We should be able to ask and have things. And, and God wants to bless us with things. But, again, he says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. You ask amiss. You ask of things that are not in the will of God. And, and you ask because you're selfish and you want them for your own pleasure and your own good. Because you don't want to hurt. Because you don't want things in your life. You don't want your children to hurt. And you just can't see and understand what's going on. So you ask amiss. That you may spend it on your own pleasures. Again, me asking for a million dollars. Oh, that'd be great. I'd tithe off that. We'd have a new building. That'd be great. I know me and Gabby joked. She was like, we just need to win the lottery. And I said, we've got to play it first before we could ever win it. I'd have to buy my first ever lottery ticket. Not that I'm against buying a lottery ticket. We just never have. It ain't been something that I do. So I'm never going to win the lottery if I don't play it, which is fine. I'm never going to receive what God has for me in my life until I know the Word of God and His will in my life, right? So it, it, it's all the same. We just, how we look at it, how we look at things. So you ask, you may spend it on your own pleasures because you ask amiss. You're not asking in the will of God and what He has for in your life. And you don't, well, I don't know what He has for me. Why don't you know what He has for you? Because you don't ask Him. Because a lot of times if we actually knew what God wanted for us in our life for Him to do, and some of us know that and are not doing what God's called us to do because it's hard, it, it makes us nervous, it does all this stuff that we don't want to do because it's not easy. Okay? It's not easy. I didn't ask that God make me a pastor. I didn't say, God, I want you to make me pastor one day, and that's what I'm going to do. I didn't ask that. I'm not opposed to it, but I didn't ask it. But here I am. Why? Because this is the will of God that He has for me in my life. And I, and I love walking in this. I say it all the time, that this is great. I love it. I, I couldn't imagine now not doing what I'm doing, even though it's been eight months, nine months nearly. I still couldn't imagine that. Why? Because I know if I walked away now, I'd be walking out of the will of God. I'd be walking out of what He wanted me to do in my life. It would be easier. Sure, that'd be easy. It'd be easy, you know, going camping every weekend or hunting, fishing, whatever it is, doing what I wanted to do. That would be easy. That's why the church is filled up today. It's still God's will for us to gather together and worship His name and come to church and build each other up. That's still God's will. But there's no church in as many as that we have in this little town that are filled up to the brim today because people... They, there's two reasons I think about this this morning. People don't come to church. One is they think they don't need it. And that's where a lot of people are. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And that's true. You don't have to go to church to go to heaven. And I've heard this before, and I've, I've said it, and I've heard it said, but the ones that are going to heaven, the ones that are striving to know the will of God in their life, most of them are in church this morning. And then the other one is, is they think that where they are in their life, they could never go to church because they don't think that they're good enough to be here. Right? And that keeps a lot of us out of the will of God in our life because of our past. Because of things that's happened to us. Because of things that we've done and we've known we've asked forgiveness for. But yet, we keep those things here and they're still blocking us from receiving what God has for us. Because we walk in the will of God and let Him move and work in our life. So, don't let 
the things that are right out in front of you, the things in the past, keep you from the will of God in your life. Because He said when you ask anything, ask according to His will. He hears us in verse 15 of chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5. He said, and if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, because it's in His will, we know that He hears us. And I don't believe that when we ask something, and you know, Unless it's just something goofy. I believe God hears us all the time, okay? And He's He's not just turning a deaf ear to us. Or My prayers are not... If you're a child of God, your prayers are reaching the throne room of heaven just like mine, okay? He's, he's no respecter of person. And I'm no closer to God because I'm two foot up on this stage than you are, okay? So don't ever think that. I'm just another man, another human that decided to allow God to let do in my life what He wanted to do. Do I live that every day? I strive to. Do I fail at it a lot of times? Yes. Do I act? Do I, do I go out to work? When I go to Torre tomorrow, I'm not going to stand up and preach the Word of God at Torre. Not audibly. Now, if we get in conversations with different people, but I'm going to strive to live my life to where it speaks and people can know the love of God through me without I'm not carrying around with me at work all day, all right? But I'm carrying God here with me. And that's what we got to do. So this has to be our prayer and our desire every day. What did Jesus come to do? He come to serve. He didn't come to be praised. He didn't come to be worshipped. He come on this earth to serve. And that's what He's told us to do. So we serve God and we serve others. Through that, now that Jesus is back and Jesus is in heaven and we know He's our Lord and our Savior, and He's at the right hand of God, we serve Him, and we love Him, and we worship Him because of what He's done for us, because He let God's will be done in His life. It's an example to us that we can do the same thing. To serve God and serve others as Jesus is, to fully devote ourselves to the will of God and not to ourselves. Take I out of your train of thought. Take what I want to do out. Because what I want to do gets you in trouble. What I want to do is flesh. And the Spirit wars against the flesh all the time, doesn't it? Flesh, we know, gets us in trouble, gets us in sin, gets us in bind, and, and bondage and, and different things in our life. So it's not easy to live this way. I've said it a lot. If it was easy, if it was easy to live this way, then everybody would be doing it. If it was easy to serve God, then we'd have more clouds of witnesses that we could read about and study about and find out how they done it. They, there would be more. And so, but just as Jesus knew that his joy and the reward for him keeping on track with what God called him to do, the reward for us doing it's just as great. Because our end reward's in heaven with him. Right? Our end, our end reward's there. But while we're on this earth, we can still have the reward to know that we're living and doing what God's called us to do, whatever it may be. Whatever. It could be God's called you to serve and, and pick up trash on the floor. Well, guess what? You're doing what God's called you to do. It doesn't have to be here in this pulpit. And I'll say it everywhere. I'll say it a lot and we'll say it again. He did call each of us, if you're a child of God, to witness to others. They'll go out therefore and preach the gospel, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That wasn't left up to a pastor. It doesn't say that. That's if you're a child of God. That's what you're supposed to do. So I challenge you this week. 
Every time we come in here, we need to be challenged. Every time you open the Word of God and read it, you need to challenge yourself to live what you're reading. And not just read a few verses and then go on and say, I've done something good for the day. You did something decent. That was good. But live what God wants us to. Live how God wants us to. Fully trusting Him and His will in our life. Knowing that when we ask Him according to His will, He hears us. And we'll read the verse of verse 15 before we're closing. And if we know He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. We have those things. We have those things. Jesus is constantly interceding for us on our behalf to the throne room of God. Thank God you still love Him. You're still there. They're, they're still here. you know. And, and Jesus said, I still love Him. I died for all of them. And I don't believe God's sitting up there ready to strike us down. But because Jesus is right there interceding on our behalf all the time, He's not going to. And He, he wouldn't. He's not up over the lightning bolt going to strike us down. I don't believe we do something wrong. We've got to worry about, you know, whatever. You know, people joke about that all the time. But doing the will of God is what we need to, what we need to concentrate on and let God work and move in our life. And don't back down from it. Young, old, whatever. Wherever you're at in your life, don't back down from what God wants you to do in your life today. Amen? Amen. Y'all stand this morning. If you're here this morning and you never made Jesus Lord of your life, then today is the day of salvation. Today. Why wait to know what God wants in your life and the will that He has for you? First, the first step to knowing that is asking Jesus in your heart. If you're here this morning and, and you've walked away and you're doing your will and what you want to do and not what God wants you and has for you, then we'll pray a prayer. And you invite God back into your life and let Him let Him be who He needs to be for you. Amen. Amen. If you if you got need prayer for any other need or any other thing in your life, come on and we'll pray and and we'll believe. Amen.